about a year back, we had a friend of the show reach out to us and ask us to report on Live Golf. Now, anybody who has listened to the show knows that my interest in sports is a bit limited. I enjoy it when there's a scandal or somebody breaks the system mathematically, but I could never really claim to be a avid follower of golf. Then everyone started talking about it. I had people reaching out to me and telling me that parts of Portland were being patrolled by for-profit security in preparation for a live tour. This event is nothing more than a group of very talented athletes who appear to have turned their backs on the crime of murder. And I started seeing pictures of Trump and his family hanging out with Saudi royalty, playing golf and palling around with Saudi money men. And suddenly there were antitrust lawsuits and old rich golfers who have been selling Wagyu beefsteaks and Ray-Ban sunglasses in their retirement emerging. You know, we're golfers. We're pro- providing entertainment globally and we'll continue to do so as time goes on. And claiming that, you know, this entity, PGA, that's been around since, you know, golf was nearly founded is being crushed. And suddenly there's Saudi money being funneled to lobbyists in America. Brett Eagleson's dad died in the South Tower on 9-11. Never would I imagine that I would have to be here to speak out against American golfers who are getting in bed with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. In the middle of all this fighting and chaos, the PGA, an organization that's older than the 1920s prohibition, is suddenly gone, nuked out of existence by Saudi money. But what we're talking about today is coming together to unify the game of golf. And David, the way that we're doing that is we're creating a for-profit LLC uh, that the PIF is going to invest in. In light of these events and to help clear it up, Todd and I have decided to do a two-part episode on Live Golf. I will be hopefully covering the history of uh, Saudi money and what is the uh, public investment fund. And meanwhile, Todd will be breaking through the uh, scandals and the back and forth between the golfers and how the PGA fought and lost against Live Golf. So please enjoy part one of two on Live Golf and Saudi money versus the PGA. We're, we're basically going to take the rise of live golf as an empire. <laughs> we're going to take it from its inception. Like, like, like it's, it's important enough and big enough and sprawling enough. And it hits enough sort of world news and celebrity and like corruption and politics and power. And I like it, it touches everything, but it starts as what I understand is just a, a glimmer in Greg Norman's eye for a golf tour. A, so I, I was hoping, th- by the way, I know nothing about golf, so I was hoping that you would cover the golf parts for me and I could sure. just describe Saudi money, basically. The whole live tournament starts with the shark, Greg Norman, who Greg Norman is a celebrity. He's a world-class golfer. He's won 20 PGA events. He's won Masters events. He's one of the celebrities. He's, where, he's from Australia. Do you know Greg Norman? I only know him from looking up pictures of him and like looking up little tiny bits of him. But no, I have, I basically have no idea who he is. I am not a golfer. I, I, I've always thought of it as an activity. Anything that an eight-year-old can do with an 80-year-old, I don't think of as a sport, Joe. But I have hit, I've golfed probably five times in my life. And there is an amazing feeling when you hit a golf ball perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I've probably only done it twice by luck, but it does feel good. But I do follow golf because um, I follow it more like tabloids. And one thing I liked about Greg Norman, Greg Norman for a while had one of the most expensive divorces in history. <laughs> so I want to start out by saying that if you're on the PGA Tour, you are filthy rich. And you don't have to be Greg Norman or Tiger Woods to be rich, rich. Okay, so... Greg Norman, the Live Tournament, this was an idea that started way back in 94. He had a proposal for a world tour. And the PGA, the, the powers that be, 
um, rejected it. It was headed then by Tim uh, Fincham. And he warned because, um, and what Greg Norman was thinking was, let's start but an event that adds value to the PGA, that exposes golf to people on a world stage and gets more athletes involved and more fans involved, which means what? It means more revenue for the PGA. But Tim, uh, who read the PGA, sent out something and said, anyone who messed with anything other than the PGA would be suspended. And so they'd lose their livelihood and a very, very high income. So that, that squashed that thing awfully fast. Okay. Um, because I don't know much about golf, what would what would the competition supposedly look like there? Is it kind of like what I'm imagining with like racing where it's like you have you know NASCAR but then you have Formula 1 but then you also have uh um just anything with a motor like different types of like funny cars is it they wanted to have a totally different tour disconnected that was like worldwide isn't is PGA worldwide am i miss it is it is okay um i think of it similar to the NFL the NFL through the years has had a few competitors the USFL the XFL but they were just fo- the railroad tracks that are laid in by the PGA and by the NFL would be really hard for people just to stop watching that one. Um, I almost think it's always for the hard, hardcore fans. You know, like women's basketball and the women's WIBA. Yes, they do get some ratings now because there's been some push that there's been some sexism that they haven't gotten the exposure that the NBA has. But in no way do their rankings, their ratings even touch. And that's what I think of the PGA. Um, a lot of sports try to do this. You know, the NFL does it right now where they're, they're, having, um, they're having football games in Europe to spread the word. Um, and that's the difference between the, the race car thing that you said. Those Formula Ones and things have been around as long as NASCAR. So they are already railroad tracked into that community. And those racers are very famous in Italy, in Germany, where they live. So it's not really a fair example. This is really a shoestring startup of wealthy people. Okay. So this is all happening in, in nineties, 94. Greg Norman is 30 years ago. almost. Yeah. Okay. 30 years ago, Greg Norman tries to launch a competitor to the PGA. He thinks it's going to bring golf some attention worldwide. Yeah. It gets up celebrities. And that's what I think of as like a celebrity showing, you know? Okay. We'll put our best guys out there. And and this was long before um, Tiger Woods, right? Like before the game changed because of Tiger Woods. This am I correct? Just prior to that. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. actually didn't know that. That shows my ignorance is I didn't know when Tiger had started. And, and maybe maybe eight-year-old Tiger Woods was playing at this point or something. Um, so I want to kind of... Uh, we're going we're gonna to railroad track this episode. We're going to jump back and forth and back and forth between the sport uh, uh, live as a sport erupting and, and being incepted and um, the money from Saudi Arabia, because the two basically go lockstep. The, the, the history of uh, something called the public investment fund. It, it's not just the lifeblood of live golf. It, it has its own history, its own story, and it goes through its own cycle. Like golf does like, like the invention of the sport. Um, so to start with, have you ever heard of the public investment fund from Saudi Arabia? No, I have not. Okay. Um, Saudi Arabia, to give you some context, uh, they've been dabbling in like, I, I mentioned Formula One. They've been dabbling in like Formula One and soccer since the 1970s. Not that they were putting forward their own teams necessarily. It's not like, Everybody dabbles in soccer, like every country has a soccer team, basically. Um, This is more like uh, Saudi Arabia was dabbling in trying to buy other people's teams. Um, Of course, Saudi has their own professional teams in different leagues and different sports and things like that. Mostly soccer, right? They have the Olympic, all the Olympic athletes and right. Yeah. Soccer is a big passion of that. I I would think in that part of of the world. Right, they they do have a showing, and and um, they have a FIFA youth team, and and they have, but they they started kind of like instead of having their own teams be excellent, 
necessarily. Uh, they started going out and buying other people's teams and, and like funding them and, and trying to uh, pump money into other sports. And it was baffling to a lot of people for a very long time. Like, like early on the layman, like, like myself, like, like people in sports knew it was happening and investors and economists knew it was happening, but the layman and your average formula one viewer did not understand why Saudi was suddenly sponsoring teams. Like you see a driver go by in a car and they're sponsored by like mellow yellow soda and like Coca-Cola and Marlboro cigarettes and Saudi Arabia, like <laughs> a country for some reason. Um, so it was odd, but their team started winning their uh, formula one drivers won the constructors championship. Uh, they had, like I said, the FIFA youth team under 16, they won a world championship. Um, this began a trend that would become known as sports washing. Um, sports washing, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the term, it's when a group of people decide that they're unpopular on the world stage and people are afraid of their politics and afraid of their money or power. And so they buy a sports team. Um, there are, uh, uh, I mean, like that goes back to almost like Rome, <laughs> the, the gladiatory arena, give them bread and circuses and people will love you. Sports washing is effectively bread and circuses. It's, uh, if you don't trust us, we'll just have sports teams so that you like watching us at the very least. And that will ingratiate you to us. Um, now the reason for Saudi doing this and the reason why this story balloons out so much and its tendrils get into so many sports and it, it does, it affects uh, golf so profoundly is because the public investment fund was founded, um, like I said, in the seventies because they realized that Saudi Arabia would eventually run out of oil. Um, uh, if <laughs> I mean, I, I think I kind of spoiled it there, but if you were to name any other export, any export from Saudi Arabia, could you name any of them besides oil? <laughs> I don't think of lima beans or coffee or anything. No, I just think <laughs> I think they know what their where their their eighty twenty rule is, right? They, right. Yeah. <laughs> no. have, well, and I've read that. I, I read that uh, they realize this oil is running short, which means this money's going to run out and. And these princes and princesses and stuff don't have a lot of marketable skills. <laughs> right. Is that, is that fair to say? It's totally fair to say. Um, uh, a, a, I'm taking this from a, a Middle East journal. It's called the Middle East Journal. Um, but they said they called their own economy. They called it a one crop economy. And that, that one crop is oil. So you're dead on. And, you know, you speech about that where their wealth just comes right out of the, well, the, the guitar. The Qatar, remember the episode we did on that? Mm -hmm. And there was natural gas. And it's just so nice when, when money actually does not just grow on trees, but just pours out of the ground. It's just right. oil rich. But there's only so much of it. Right. It's, it's a finite resource, obviously. And back in the 70s, before the 70s, they were just like, oh, we'll just pull up oil and that will be our wealth and we'll build... A, an insane society if you look at pictures of saudi arabia it's like incredible skyscrapers and like glass structures and like it's touching the sky and it, it blows your mind um but in the 70s when they started sports washing that's when they also realized that they had until uh 20 to 50 so uh, the year 2250 so we, we got a ways we got like a couple of centuries before that happens, but they will run out of oil and they, they don't want to spend all of their oil in the meantime. They don't want to go all the way up to, you know, 200 years from now coasting so, on that oil. So your sports washing, that statement is what that, what does that mean? That means they're trying to, they're trying to soften their um, relationship with other countries so they can begin getting into trade. They, they want to become the trade hub of the world they want everyone to love them and they want people to trust them as a country so that they can basically make trade their economic powerhouse. They want to become the marketplace basically of the world as far as I can understand it. Wouldn't it seem like music would be a better way to go? <laughs> <laughs> Entertain, yeah, music, Hollywood, like, like, like yeah, movies. Yeah, movies. Yeah, make yeah. some movies where you're always the hero, kind of the propaganda thing. You know, right. some action movies, some car chases where, where the Saudis save the day. I, I think for that, but well, I, I agree with you 
but I think for that, they'd have to like build their own Hollywood, their own structure. They'd have to build everything from the ground up and compete with Hollywood with sports washing. You don't compete with anybody. You just go out well, and buy yeah. some teams and you integrate have, into the system that's there. They don't have the producers. They don't have the talent. They don't have the actors, actresses. They don't have the years of generational, right? That Hollywood right. and New York has and probably other parts of the country, right? Or other parts of the world. I, Bollywood too. I think I'm getting, I'm getting credit for all the great movies, right? Right. Well, they, yeah, it's, it's at the very least they could, they could start getting into, um, you would think entertainment that, uh, is there, but th- this comes back around, by the way, you're, you're, you're kind of like calling the ball. They do totally get into entertainment. They, they get, they start dabbling in other people's entertainment sectors and it, it gets wild. Um, but they, yeah, they did not decide to go out and make a, um, a, a Saudi would, I don't know what a Saudi Bollywood would look like. Um, but, yeah, they they instead they decided to go with sports and a couple of different sectors of entertainment. And economically, they, they need such an incredible diversity of investment to get away from oil. It's crazy. Like like it is it is an entire country's worth of oil, a, a, a one of the wealthiest countries worth of oil. And suddenly they have a need to get all of those you know wealthy lines of investment into other things that aren't oil. Um. But the problem with that is that um, most, uh, you know, English-speaking European countries, they don't trust Saudi Arabia. They they really haven't for a long time, and part of that is because um, their policies and their religion look so different from what we're used to. Um, now we're we're going to at some point get into uh, policies that go against morally what we would call uh, just or truthful. Um, so we're going to try to avoid kind of like judging another culture as, as long as we can for right now, we're just judging their economic policy, but, uh, trust wise, they have no free speech. Um, protesting is a criminal act. Speaking out against the government or religion can earn you lashings in public square, hundreds of lashings sometimes. And women aren't allowed to travel, go to college, marry, or get medical care without a male guardian's position. And this isn't 1970s. This is now. Is this uh, kind of similar? And I, I don't. I don't want to speak to this. So tell me if I'm wrong. But is this the women don't drive cars, and if they don't, if they don't read, that's great. Kind of culture. Yeah. Um. T- we'll we'll get to this uh, this incident uh, during this um, back and forth story. But at some point, while they were sponsoring a boxer, like just a couple years ago, um, he was going to Saudi Arabia to fight. And he had a hell of a time getting his wife to be able to come witness the event because it was a woman going to a sporting event that involved violence and that wasn't okay. And she also didn't cover herself up. So like when, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to get into what they're doing with sports reflects on softening other societies' views of how their society works. And that was like this in this country and in Europe 70 years ago, you were, you know, women weren't allowed to travel pregnant woman without their husband you know there was some weird stuff that but again that was a few generations ago right <laughs> well as the time marches in the story you'll you'll figure out you know how much of this is recent how how recent it is and what's currently going on with um the the sort of human rights violations and what their government doesn't doesn't allow you to say as far as any kind of freedom of speech whatsoever which is not very existent and this is, uh, we're definitely leaving the links in here. I don't want to say this kind of stuff without having very clear, um, uh, like, like sources. Uh, so we're going to, um, the U S government and the U S commission on international religious freedom. That's where we're pulling from. We'll leave links to their sort of evaluation page. Um, but if people love them for giving shitloads of money to soccer and formula one and golf, um, maybe we'll all forget about the cultural differences and the human rights violations. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and, and this, that too is, is a current policy. So like, we're not talking about a policy that was started in the 1970s that they eventually forgot about and stopped buying sports teams to sports wash in 2016, um, Mohammed bin Salman launched his Saudi vision 2030 strategy. That's what it's called. And just imagine that in quotes. And it's a huge goal to bring sports to Saudi Arabia to create jobs and diversify the economy. So their vision in the 70s is still the same one that they've kind of re-upped in 2016. Now, I I want to explain this because I think this is important. Um, We're talking about sports washing. We're talking about hiring sports 
people. Okay, so it's a PR stunt. And people are coming out of other sports. I'll give you an example. There's a soccer player, football player, Cristiano Ronaldo. You've heard of him, Joe, right? Yeah. Very famous. You know, looks like a model. He was playing for a club, you know, one of the big clubs, world clubs. His salary was $30 million. So I'm going to just let you take a guess at what the Saudis are playing him in the twilight of his career. He's not in his prime anymore. (laughs) So most mostly when you're past your prime a bit, and he is a little bit, he, he's expired a bit, you usually make less than $30 million. How much do you think the Saudis are paying for that big name to come play for their club? Ten times. Like like whatever, almost every story we get into, it's ten times whatever they're making for whatever sport. In his whole career, he played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. He played 11 years for clubs, and he's one of the highest paid. He made $400 million roughly. This is just salary. This is not endorsements. Okay. Okay. This is important. He's going to make that in two seasons. Holy His God. Salary went from $30 million to 200 million because of who he is or who he used to be. <laughs> it's a shocking. It almost to me, I'm thinking who negotiates for these assholes. I could have probably got him to do it for 50. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they're just literally like, <laughs> And I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but I heard they do this with property, too. They'll just pay whatever the fuck. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. In fact, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to the part where, once again, I was writing the middle of the writing an episode and like about to sort of blow everyone's minds. And then it came out in, in national news and it was like, oh, OK, fine, we'll just talk about it. It doesn't have to be a mind blower, I guess. Um, but but it, also to your point, uh, soccer, I didn't even really include much of that in this um, this episode write up. But they they uh, early on uh, um, before PGA or, or before even golf, they were trying to buy um, teams in Britain and they they went around trying to buy clubs and, and they did buy a couple. Um, but it, it's almost every time it was a fight like like there was an incident where like they tried to buy a club and, and the owner, you know, uh, ended up having to back out because he was, you know, like his license didn't didn't match it or or like they he wasn't able to because of the regulations and then they paid to get regulations changed. It, it's crazy. Well, I could see that because certain sports NFL being one and soccer being one in Europe and, and South America, it's so much of the culture. I can see the PGA being a little easier pickings because it is a bunch of rich people. It isn't that sport that the world loves like soccer. I mean, soccer is the most popular. Soccer is a hundred times more popular than golf. It's not debatable. I do know that they they do have Newcastle United. Um, that was one of the ones that I read from a Bloomberg right. article where they, they had they, some of the smaller, crappier clubs. They, they didn't get they, they wanted the big ones, I'm sure. But they just they're not for sale. You know, <laughs> those are billionaires, too. You know, right. <laughs> so they're 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 sports watching. They're getting into as many sports as they can. By the way, um, the the investment fund, um, I I don't think I mentioned this yet. Um, The investment fund, they do um, sponsor a lot of entertainers. Uh, One one of the weird ones that blew my mind was Capcom. Capcom is a video games company like they made Street Fighter. And so I'm reading about them like sports washing. And then I'm just like, oh, right. No, they they have their their hands in old Sega games at the time. Like it's it's insane. Kind of exciting. To me, it seems like. if you're just so wealthy where you can buy anything, I mean, it's like the olden days, like with the Kings, right? <laughs> the Roman right. Empire, where you literally own the world. Yeah. yeah, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, I'm trying, like, like when you hear your uncle or grandfather complaining that like they didn't diversify their investment portfolio and they lost a shitload of money when the S&P 500 went down. Or like the stock market took a plunge and they're like, well, I didn't diversify my portfolio. Imagine a whole economy doing that. Like they're all doing the same math where it's like, well, we need to diversify our portfolio into literally everything we can. And let me push back on that. A portfolio is one thing. But when you pay 10 times what everything is worth and pay employees (laughs) 10 times of, yes, they're, they're profitable. There's a reason people make salaries that they do. But if you. At one point, are you going to be bleeding money if you're paying? I just think you're, you're, you're the scale's tipped. You're right. delusional in your pay, and then how's that going to work long term? If you cut the pay back, those athletes will what? They're going to go away. Right. Well, I, I think it's 
speed and unpopularity. They want to get into the investments fast and they also need to overcome like a bias that, I mean, like, like other um, uh, articles that I was reading, they were calling it just like they have to overcome a bias against Middle East, you know, scary Middle East economies that are also Islamist. So like it, it's, it's, you got to put out a lot of money to like break into places where it seems like you historically haven't been, especially in like sports. Um, so I, 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 I hear what you're saying that they're there. It feels like foolishness to pay somebody 10 times their salary to like jump ship. But I mean, you're buying your way in. No, you're buying your reputation. You're buying yeah. your way in. And they have some things that in their past that or present, some things that, that, and it's true, sports and arts and everything does kind of smooth things over, right? It's something that people have passion for and love for. Yeah. I, Except for you, but. We got you some of the video games there. I got you. I got you a little bit excited. <laughs> I have started watching Ranger games. That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> he has to because his future father-in-law puts a gun to his head. <laughs> Sorry, John. I, I no, I that's okay. Uh, Help me. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of them you can't do when you're you're eighty. Like that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, speaking of 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 people who can do sports forever, uh, into their old age. Uh, there was a guy on here that I wanted to to get your opinion on, um, Justin Thomas. Now, a- around the time that um, Mohammed bin Salman was launching his Saudi vision, where he he was kind of like reaffirming their goal to to buy all the sports everywhere forever. Um, I I was trying to grasp what that meant since we're talking about overpaying the hell out of golfers. Um, I read somewhere that the PGA pays its players, but I've also heard the owner of the PGA claim that they're nonprofit and that the prize purse is paid by sponsors, but the tour itself doesn't make money. But it sure looks like it's wealthy people playing and and managing golf. So I was wondering, how could that be true? Like like I, that that kind it's of broke my brain. Yeah, it's someone I don't want to confuse anybody or myself with the PGA has a lot of a lot of sponsors a lot of people that fund it um so and this is very similar to the ncaa in college sports there's like oh we don't make any money they make millions of dollars okay i'll give you an example uh justin thomas um he made his first win in 2017 okay um and he made 10 million dollars to win an event so whoa that's a pretty good weekend wouldn't you say yeah, that's that's more than you can make as an electrician, obviously. Yeah. Um, so a $7 million salary, let's say he made that in the year in earnings, okay? Let's just say an, an average year for him. Again, he's not Tiger Woods, you know? Um, but in endorsements, so he makes $10 million or $7 million in that range in salary. Salary endorsements for him are going to be in the neighborhood of $30 million. That's directly to him from... Golf balls, hats, you know, anything golf related. Okay. But that's not the interesting one. I, I want to share this with you. Um, the low side, you know, we talked about the high side, the 120 million. We always focus on who's in the top five or whatever, how much they make. It's more fun, right? It's more romantic, like winning the lottery, right? Now, there'll be a guy at the very low, and it'll show his salary. His salary is $500,000. This guy never wins. He, he doesn't make the cut, which means he's not on TV very often. But all the big sponsors, all the big donors are going to give him $500,000, $600,000 a year just because he's on the PGA. And, Joe, you got to say why. Why would you? I can see paying to Tiger Woods or to Justin Thomas, right? Because they're on TV all the time. They're celebrities. They're signing autographs. Why would you do it for these other guys? And, and we're talking sponsors, right? We're talking sponsors, not salary. Yeah, I don't know why you'd pay somebody who isn't a name. Because these guys, every once in a while at a tournament, will make the cut and do really well. They'll make it to the top 10, 15, or 20. So it's worth it to these. That should show you how much money is in golf. It's worth it to pay guys who may never make it millions of dollars in, in uh, endorsements. Just the chance. That that one day they have that awesome day, <laughs> and on our TV, isn't that crazy? 
So that's almost like the endorsement is a gamble. Like that doesn't sound like to me, that doesn't sound like like a normal sports endorsement. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So what I think, and let's go get away from those guys and go back to the big boys and girls in golf. Um, When you have a PGA, yeah, your salary is your salary. You win, you make millions, right? But those endorsements are so lucrative for everybody. We don't want anybody risking it. It's very different than the NFL or, or, you know, race cars because their salaries are set. And yeah, they do get endorsements, but I don't think it's as much as these guys get percentage wise. So they're thinking, well, what if this cuts into that? No, thank you. Not interested. And Justin Thomas, who finally made it, you know, he's the new kid on the block. He, and that's what it seems funny to me. Like if I, I would think that if I was him, I would think, yeah, let them play their little games and think they're cool. We're still in the PGA. We're in the big time. We're in the big leagues. They're nobodies, you know? And right. if some other older retired guys want to do that, good for them. But no, they're so fiercely uh, just PGA. They're, they're, they're waving that PGA flag. It's almost like, to me, like a cult, like some kind of religion. I'm like, are you guys crazy? Who cares? You guys are in this for money, too. I think that's what was blowing my mind so much or, or, or what's I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around because when like when when there was com- competition for like um, the, you know, uh, that was a WWE and the WWF when they split, there was like it, it was more personal, but they were just trying to suss out who was going to get more viewership. They weren't competing for like 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 almost no, gambler like sponsors like. Yeah, it was a genuine race. Like, can we put a better product on than them? Can we take your talent? Yeah, and it was like an even match almost, right? Right, and I guess the same thing would go for most other sports that have split. It's it's more about the viewership and the actual sport being put on, less about, uh, again, like almost the, the gamblership of, of sponsorship. But I think historically they've all failed miserably. No little startup has come in and knocked another sport on its butt. <laughs> That's been established for a hundred years. It hasn't happened. It's not that easy. Right. Oh, but it would take, it would now take we're a... actually dealing with somebody with unlimited resources. <laughs> I was going to say that. It, it's... We got a little richer person playing now than we've ever. And that's the thing. That's why the PGA is such an old white boys club. Right. You would think that they'd just be too snobby. Right. That they they would never sell out. Right? Okay. Well. That's that's kind of our, our, our next big part is um, how close do they get? Um, so so like. Uh, have, OK, did you see Justin Thomas's tweets uh, about live? Yeah, 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 he he, he was kind of like the greatest form of flattery. Congratulations. Yeah, he's saying good. Right. He's, good. He seemed like their white knight, basically, is, yeah. is the way I could see it. Um. He he's like these guys are a bunch of sellouts, you know. Yeah, he's very adamant that they were just a bunch of idiots. So, and he was even talking down about who they have. He's like, of course they're not going to have. He's saying they don't have the same talent as you. Have. Of course they don't. They're startups, like just like these soccer teams that the Saudis got. No, they they don't have everybody yet, but they're getting some names, and and names bring with them fans. So around the time that uh, um, Justin Thomas is becoming sort of like a defender of lit, uh, of PGA, and he's being cemented as as one of their defenders because he got you know, ten million plus thirty million in endorsements. Um, meanwhile, Saudi is making that amount of money look like chump change as they buy into other sports. In May of 2017, um, they debut their own wwe channel by paying a bunch of wwe stars to sort of like help them establish um they invest in manchester united which was a hugely um like uh, argued move um and then in late 2017 and early 2018 um they hammered out a deal with italian super cup and the spanish super cup um so they they basically like that those sports have nothing to do with each other. Um, they yeah, are one, just one's not a sport. One's entertainment, you know. Right. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're branching out. They, when we talk about sports watching, they are grabbing the the sponges and they're going at it in multiple directions. 
um, and with money that is just ludicrous. Um, and in that same year, they are uh, amping up their spending in American politics. Now, here, here's the part where I started getting more and more involved in this research. <laughs> um, I knew that different presidents had accepted Saudi money at different times. I did not know how much, how regular or or what it was going to. I just knew that like, oh, the corrupt politicians, they accept Saudi money at some point in their career. And then, you know, the the non-corrupt politicians, they they just ignore it. They don't take it. Um, that's not really the case. <laughs> in 2017, around the same time, they're buying up all these different sports. Um, Trump's campaign receives 270000 from the Saudis who are investing because they need to stop laws that allow Americans to sue foreign countries for terrorist attacks. The idea is if a terrorist originates from your country, if, if one originates from Saudi Arabia, they don't want to have to be on the hook for paying another country because their individual citizens did something crazy like you know, fly planes into a building or something. Um, Doesn't that seem like chump change compared to the other dollar amounts we've been throwing around here? <laughs> yeah, I know $270,000 would change a lot of things in my life, but throwing that up <laughs> for a lobbyist seems like... <laughs> You would think, yeah. I, Are you sure there's not another zero in here? Is your research off? Well, oh no, there's there's more zeros. They're coming. Okay, but okay, I, okay, okay. I, it's I think it's because that's um, an amount that a campaign could receive without making okay, everyone in yeah. America blush simultaneously. I, I can I think, see one of the, one of the kids has that in their pocket of those Saudi kings and queens, right? There. One of the right. kiddos, like. Hey. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to say one of Trump's kids because that's what happened. Is um, Jared I don't think Kushner buy a good watch for that, right? Right. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it, it gets it gets crazy. So um, after Trump's presidency, like a lot of promises were made. It, it was just it, that was an amount that was, uh, by the way, this is all open and declared. None of this is us talking uh, shit about a political party. That's just what was on the books. And we'll link to the Wall Street Journal articles, which are, are a right leaning venue. So but um, can we put a screech on the brakes here? Sure. They're they're paying actual money. So when there's a terrorist attack, they don't get in trouble. It's like insurance for terrorism. I mean, it's like what? When Doesn't they seem awfully anti-American for someone who says, "Let's make America great again," to be taking money from a, what a lot of people consider an enemy. I will. I will simply say, uh, I will choose not to take sides, except to say, I don't like lobbyists, and I hate that this is a system in America. Uh, Anybody can accept money from the Saudis or anybody can accept money from almost any source for a campaign contribution. It sure seems weird that somebody would accept that big of a contribution from the Saudis while they're campaigning for a law that stops Americans from suing foreign countries for terrorist attacks. I think it could be sounds like it would be political um, suicide. Suicide. Yeah. Yeah. One would think. But yeah, to, to suffice it to say. That was a wildly unpopular move for about two seconds before Trump made another political move or, or did something else that, that grabbed attention. So, uh, again, without taking sides, it was crazy at the time. And then and then everyone kind of moved on. Um, now, after Trump's campaign uh, campaign, after his presidency came to a close, it was revealed what kind of Saudi promises had been made while he was president. Um, Jared Kushner had uh, very publicly received two billion dollars from uh, the Saudis. Billion um, with a B. Billion with a B. Oh boy, two thousand million, huh? That's a lot of money. How do you explain that? Is that hey, a law? It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's that's that's it. Um, he can't 20... play soccer. He's not a good soccer player. I know for a fact. Or no, a golfer. not that good a golfer. <laughs> it's he's it's it's for his juggling. He's he's just really good at. <laughs> It's like literally a court jester. No, no, it's 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 all tied into like overpaying uh, Trump's family for businesses. And okay, this is not um, again me. I'm not trying to stir the pot on anyone politically. That's something he just said in court. So when I said that we were going to have a big aha moment here and I was going to reveal that Saudis had been paying off different um, presidential families, that was going to be my big reveal. And Trump said it himself in court last week. Um, he, He was in court and under oath to his own testimony he said anything i sell i can value at any amount because the saudis will pay me any amount i, I any any dollar amount i place on something and he that was, falls into the you could sell something's worth what someone's willing to pay for it wherever they're from i get that exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't understand that philosophy they think oh i paid this much for this or this that doesn't mean anything what's something once someone's willing to pay supply and demand right right <laughs> 
And part of what uh, Trump was selling is in 2019, Bin Salma asked Trump to sell him and his country $8.1 billion worth of American arms. And I do mean the word sell. The money wasn't going to go directly to Trump. That amount of American munitions was going to, like, America would be paid, supposedly, and the guns and ammo would be given to Bin Salma for that amount of money. Um, But when uh, Congress said no, um, uh, Trump himself was beaten uh, with a 246 to 180 vote, meaning a lot of Republicans also did not want to sell uh, arms to Saudi Arabia. Um, Trump tried to do it without congressional permission. So he, he basically tried to, like when, when Congress said no, he was like, okay, I'll just go around you and I'll, I'll sell $8 billion in arms to Saudi Arabia anyway. Um, and if you're wondering what Saudi was doing with those arms and what they have been doing is they just bomb Yemen. They, they would continue to bomb Yemen, uh, which is a neighbor of theirs. Don't ask me why Saudi Arabia is constantly bombing Yemen. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it has to do with like Saudi support and like military and, and Yemen was being puppet controlled by Iran, supposedly. It's it's a it's a, it's long, a complicated difference. Yeah. It's, a, it's a five episode. <laughs> not our fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the short the short answer is that's not our fight, but we are going to sell uh, uh, billions of dollars worth of arms to to support that fight that we have nothing to do with. Um, and this isn't this isn't just Trump. I don't want to give the impression that like we're just attacking one party over the other or one group no, over the us, other. Give me some Dems too. Give me yeah, some the, blue. Uh, the Obamas received uh, 1.3 million in gifts from the last king of Saudi Arabia, so before Ben Salman. And a year later, the Obama administration sold Saudi Arabia 115 billion in weapons. Um, at the time, it was supported by Congress. At the time, they were like, "Yeah, we need Saudi Arabia to be strong right now, as a, as an ally." So, why do I it, have this vision? This cart. Why do I have this cartoon in my head of the most powerful person in the world, President Obama, the most powerful person in the world at the time, Donald Trump, President Trump, at the knees, and these Saudis giving them jewels, like you know, oh, thank you, you know. <laughs> I just Those... feel like is everybody for sale? Does it does it not matter how rich everybody already is? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And and you're you're dead on. That's what the gifts were. Like there are pictures of the jewels the Obamas received. They oh were Oh my god, there's actual jewels. <laughs> yeah. The pictures are wild. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it's not just uh, it's not just a bank account thing, okay? Right. It's crazy, man. It's so that's crazy. <laughs> it's... Yeah, so they're not just uh, like uh, putting money into sports to to sports wash their reputation. They're doing it in politics too. It's just people get angry when it's in sports because it affects what we watch and and what we enjoy. Nobody gives a shit if if Obama or Trump accept millions or billions to to sell arms to them or to support them. So that was in 2017. Uh, meanwhile, a, a name starts to to pop up. Um, uh greg norman again like like mr greg i want a world golf organization norman um who's retired as far as i know and is working as a brand manager selling wagyu beef and like eyewear like sunglasses and like italian grill restaurants or no australian grill restaurants yeah he was in the twilight yeah his career was pretty he was on the mat you know he's doing land once in a while but he was not as certainly not his prime that's when I see his name pop up, and that's when I see the name we have to talk about, which is Tiger Woods. Um, so, so twenty eighteen rolls around. What is what is Tiger Woods doing, and why why is he considered the sports changer? Like, like when we talk about, we're talking about the popularity of PGA before Saudi Arabia got involved. Yeah, and Tiger Woods is is something for golf that no other sport is. There's no other athlete that has taking a sport and made it as popular as he has. He took a sport that was very old, rich, white, being, you know, a mixed African-American man and made golf very, very cool, very, very fast. I, I remember when I first saw him play, he was, he was a total prodigy. Um, his dad was obsessed with golf. He had a, uh, a golf dad who was a airborne ranger, a very different background than a lot of golf pros' fathers, right? Very blue collar. I mean, it's about as blue collar, or actually a lower social class than all of them. The fact that he was of another race, 
Um, my favorite story about is him is is when uh, Tiger Woods was was uh, nine and ten like nine and ten years old, and he was out hitting golf balls playing. You know, his eighteen holes, um, like he did every day all day long. And uh, reporters were there. He was already known. He was winning, 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 winning as a little boy. And it was known that he was going to be in the PGA. And he was something special. And his dad was on the golf course, Joe, screaming, whistling, swearing, jumping up and making all this noise, which, as everyone knows in golf, you hush and you be quiet when people shoot or, or you get scolded. I mean, you can't even chew a sandwich. You have to be as silent as a mouse. And his dad is acting like a fool. And the reporters get annoyed, and he turns to the kid, Tiger Woods, 10 years old, and says, doesn't that bother you? And Tiger, as a 10-year-old, turns to the reporter and says, oh, I've I've locked that out of my brain years ago. I don't even hear it anymore. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That is wild. As a kid, he's he's already mastered, yeah, the, the psychological pressure required for sports. Well said. So the first time I saw him, he's a young man. He's in, a, he's, he's in the Masters. We're in front of the TV. I'm at work. Work stopped, and we're watching golf. I don't watch golf. Only a few people at my work even like golf. But we were cheering for him. He was literally a rock star. He was young. He was fit. When he hit the ball, the crowd would go all around him. Usually they give him a lot of space so they can concentrate. He would hit the ball with people right in front of him. I mean, it was shocking, and the fans were so close to him. He was so approachable. He was so good-looking, charismatic, and people love a winner, and people love people who dominate sports. And early in his career, he looked like he was going to break every record by five times, Joe. And the money just absolutely rolled in. The ratings went through the ceiling. The sponsorship went up. His personal wealth can't even be calculated. Yeah, they might say he's a billionaire, but anything he touches, people go buy. If he if he if he um, represents Buick, the car was struggling until he said he wanted everything he's done has been money. So not only was he winning, but he was cool, and he brought just millions of people as fans and tens of thousands of golfers. What did? that's the part that that is the most sort of like shocking to me is how much I hear him get credited for bringing up the PGA that golf as, as old and as ingrained as a institution as it is that him being there raised everyone else's salary somehow. It did because to to get in um, to even get close to him, it, it just raised the bar. So everything, everything went up four or five times. Um, it was very exciting. Like he, he's come back. He's had a lot of health problems. He's had some a lot of disruptive behaviors, sex addiction, and tons of surgeries because of you know to to torque your body the way he hits a ball as paid as, and he so he got in a car accident where he was disabled. It almost looked like he was going to lose a leg. Well, he came back and he played good in like one tournament. Joe, the energy when he has a good day, people are like dancing. You when you see it on TV. Everyone's excited. The sportscasters, the fans, the other golfers. He's literally the heartbeat of the PGA. And he just took it to a level. It's just so much better (laughs) since he joined it than after. He's the GOAT. He is a rock star. Even though he didn't break all those records, he he got in his own way for that. (laughs) (laughs) He preferred his other vices to, to play golf. How did he do it? Like, I mean, that's a weird question to ask, but like, okay, okay I'm going to, I'm going to give you a very, very short frame of reference. And then I'll ask that question again. I remember reading about, um, the, the guy who started beating everybody. Uh, who's the Japanese kid who, who became a professional, uh, eater, like speed eater. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, he came in and he, like somebody asked him once, they're like, how did you change the sport of, you know, um, c- competitive eating? And I was only reading because I thought it was a funny article. Like it was, it was a, a goofy, wacky thing to read while I was in an airport uh, um, waiting room. But he basically said that nobody else was taking it seriously. Nobody else was developing muscles to do it. Nobody mm-hmm. else was practicing. Nobody else was working out the the specifics of how to do it. The separation and he's like, was in the preparation, right? Right. And so it, it. I guess my question is like, 
what was Tiger Woods doing with his body and with his mind that, that other people weren't doing? That he started younger and that it was taken more seriously. Um, his father was absolutely, when I say his father was obsessed, I, I grew up in a boxing, you know, background and there's, I didn't have one, but a lot of the, the boxers who really are the most successful ones, they have a boxer dad. And what the boxer dad looks like is he's this alcoholic living through his kid, dragging his kid to the gym every day. And if you have that kind of structure, which Tiger Woods had, and you have a natural ability for it, you're in private schools, you know, similar to the Serena Williams thing, um, sisters, they were, they were from the crib. This is their sole focus in life. They weren't allowed to go play other sports or, you know, oh, he wants to try soccer. No, they were driven to be, Tiger Woods was driven to be this and he had a natural thing for it, but, but he just, he outworked everybody from when he was a baby. And if the heart of the PGA beats with Tiger Woods, what does Tiger Woods say about a quote unquote world golf series? Like, like he was adamant against it. He's a PGA man. He's a PGA man through and through. And he was the person that got up and shamed and publicly shamed these other people for going to make money. (laughs) And I don't get it. A lot of them weren't into the demand for the PGA. The PGA could use a few of them, right? But doesn't need them. They're still the big show. They're still the big dance. They're still the prom. So why can't they go? And if they can go and make kind of, you know, Ronaldo money in the late part of the twilight of their career, what's wrong with that? To me, they come off, and I'm sure you've seen some. Have you have you seen some of the interviews? How they talk about him? They're talking down about these guys, like they're definitely on their high horse. They got their white wig on, and they're <laughs> judging <laughs> these guys. You know, it's like, who the fuck are they? You know, they're, it's the same sport. You know. what these players are doing for you know guaranteed money um what what is the incentive to practice what is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt um you're just getting paid a lot of money up front and playing a few events you've been listening to the re-engineered you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm.